Um, and I think a lot of times I was confused and conflicting. It was like crossing in my mind. Like what I thought I offered to the world was what I thought people wanted from me. And through losing my job, through um, going through different relational changes, um, through even growing in my faith, um, I was able to really see like this person that you thought you had to be in order to be successful is not who you really are. Yeah. And now as I'm starting to learn and discover who I am through my life coaching and through um, even becoming a writer and an author, it's really helped me get an understanding of how I can best serve other people. And mm -hmm. the more that I lean into this new gifting, it's not new gifting, I should say, it's been gifting that's already inside of me, but now that I'm leaning into it and it feels new to me, um, I'm starting to see more doors open. I'm starting to feel um, less like I have to hustle and force my life to be something that it's not. Hello there, I'm Yonka Kamara. Welcome to Kume Turning Point Diaries, where we share stories of critical moments in our personal and professional lives. Our special guest today is Tyler Brewington, an author and faith-based life coach from Los Angeles. Tyler shares how she navigated seasons of uncertainties, including unexpectedly being fired from her job and harnessing the power of her faith. Her story encourages us to ask ourselves who we are in the world. Hi, Tyler. Welcome to Kume <laughs> Turning Point Diaries. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. It's so great to talk with you today. Yeah. I'm really excited to get into this conversation. Same, same. It's been, I don't know, I haven't seen you. When was the last time I saw you? I want to say I last saw you in... 2017 that's when my sister did yes 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 i remember that um so for those of you um tuning in <laughs> tyler and i went to occidental college together she you were two years below me two two or three years i think two i'm class of uh 13. Uh, oh class of 2013 mm-hmm Oh, wow. I was class of 2012. Why did I think you were like <laughs> class of 2014 or something? Anyway, so I guess you were just a year below me. But um, I remember that you were my little sister assigned to me as my little sister. Um, our part of BSA, right? Um, Black Student Association had like this mentoring um, program for, for students. For black students and so you were assigned to me as my little sister and i was very i took that role very very seriously <laughs> and i just remember we would go out for lunch and coffee together and and i just loved your spirit you have such a beautiful energy about you and um we kept in touch a little bit after college because you came to new york one time to even visit right and whatnot because you have family out here and we hung out and then over time kind of just like weren't communicating as regularly. So, um, but I'm so happy that you were back, we're connected again, and I'm, I'm just so impressed with all that you're doing and you're gonna talk about that and that journey that you've been on since we graduated from college, so. <laughs> wow, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure getting to know you in college and even getting to see you do this podcast. So I'm really excited to learn more from you as I have in the past. And I'm so excited to share a little bit more about what I've been up to since we last saw each other. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, so over the last few years, I have been going through a series of major transitions. So um, the last time that we saw each other was in 2017, and that was one year after I came back from the Peace Corps. So mm -hmm. I was a volunteer in Guatemala on the Maternal Child Health Project, and I had gone into grad school and I went to UC Berkeley for my master's in public health. And I went into that thinking that I was going to be doing more community health work. And I had a vision for my life that I would be the director of health education at Kaiser Oakland. It was very specific, very much a smart goal. <laughs> I was like, I will be in this role and this is what I need to do to get there. So I feel like the way that I was living my life up until recently was very much like a checkbox life mm -hmm. where it was like, check, you got the degree, check, you're doing this, check, 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 check. And most of these checks were in alignment with things that other people had visions for me. And so during these last few years, I've had to go through a lot of transitions that have really made me have to question what is it that I truly desire and what do I truly um, offer to the world. Um, and I think a lot of times I was confused and conflicting. It was like crossing in my mind. Like what I thought I offered to the world was what I thought people wanted from me. And through losing my job, through um, going through different relational changes, um, through even growing in my faith, um, I was able to really see like this person that you thought you had to be in order to be successful is not who you really are yeah. and now as I'm starting to learn and discover who I am through my life coaching and through um, even becoming a writer and an author it's really helped me get an understanding of how I can best serve other people and mm -hmm. the more that I lean into this new gifting it's not new gifting I should say it's been gifting that's already inside of me but now that I'm leaning into it and it feels new to me um, I'm starting to see more doors open I'm starting to feel um, less like I have to hustle and force my mm -hmm. life to be something that it's not. And it's a really wonderful feeling. And I know that it's not just for me to have. Everybody can have this. And so as a life coach, I really love to help support people in clarifying who they are, what their values are, and how they can tap into that to uniquely serve the world in the way that they were designed to. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about because you you are a writer. You just published a book. I cried oceans, right? It's yes, I cried, I cried oceans. oceans. And um, I read one of the chapters. And one of the chapters you talked about that moment, that moment when you got fired, right? And what that has meant for you. Can you talk about that moment and how pivotal that moment was? Absolutely. So that was such a painful moment in my life because prior to that, I'd always been very quote unquote put together. So I always had a job. I was always on top of my A game. I was always the person that people are like, oh yeah, she has it together. She's that person. And so when I was in this job, I very much felt like I'm not on my A game right now. And it, and most What's of it the was, job? Can you tell us what the job was? Yeah, so I was working- Give us a, a little bit more background about that, that job. Yeah, yeah. So I was working as a public health consultant. And so my work was really about doing data analysis and research for, for projects. And then the research that I, that I did would be given to um, the research associates and they would present it to the clients. Okay. So basically most of my job involved me working 11 to 12 hours a day, analyzing and coding data and sitting at a desk and just cranking it out and, mm. and, you know, creating reports and recommendations. And 
anyone who knows me knows that I am a people person. I'm not somebody who can just sit at a desk with little to no human interaction. Um, I really kept trying to spin the story in my head of like, well, there's not enough uh, black data analysis in the world. So you're providing this outlook on equity and social justice in the research. You can read through the numbers in that way and see things, or you, you know, you can really do this or that. But the more that I kept trying to bend myself to this position, the more that I experienced extreme internal strife. Mm. Um, and it started to really get into my head because I'm like, I feel like, I can't do this. I feel like I'm not a smart person. Um, I was feeling a lot of doubt. I would, I just felt so much insecurity. Um, and now looking back, I'm like, I felt that insecurity because I wasn't supposed to be secure in that position. Yeah. <laughs> like I wasn't supposed to be there. I was supposed to be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, so I didn't see it initially, like when it was first happening, hmm. that this was going to happen. Like, you know, I just didn't think about um, how I would feel in that. Um, but then when it happened, I was very shocked because I was always the person who had it together, right? Like I didn't want to be an embarrassment to my parents. I didn't want to feel like an embarrassment to myself. And, um, it was a lot of people pleasing that was kind of coming up for me around this of like, what am I going to do? Who am I without a job? Yeah. Um, who am I without this external facing um, type of affirmation from the world? Like you are a worthy person. I mean, at least in the United States, that's oftentimes how we view people. Like who, like, where did you go to school and what did you do? And it's like, I went to UC Berkeley and I'm doing data analysis. Like those are pretty like, mm, like, okay, like I respect. Yeah. Right. And so having that job taken away, it felt really like, who am I? And yeah. so as I started to go through those transitions and that loss and, and processing that, um, a lot of people were, were calling me into this work, you know, like even people in my life were telling me, you know, when you talk to me, I feel deeply seen and deeply heard by you. Have you considered being a life coach? And I didn't know what to do with that because everyone in my family is a white collar professional for the most part. You know, all the women in my mom's side of the family, apart from my sister and I, are physicians. So this idea of being an entrepreneur and going out and becoming a life coach, like that is very not what people in my family do. And so I felt a lot of fear at first to explore that option because mm -hmm. I thought, what can there be for me? Um, but when I went to webinars and I went to start learning more about what life coaches do, I just had this aha moment like, oh, that's who I am. That's yeah. what I've always been doing. And I, I've always been someone who's very passionate about community, very passionate about service. And I really see my work as a life coach as being a service to the world yeah. because it's helping people become free of the things that I was ensnared by and entrapped by. Um, this idea that I am my job, that's not who you are. That's a yeah. facet of your life, but that's not who you are. Um, you know, I am my degree. I'm no, I'm not my degree, but there's so many more things inside of me. And so I encourage anyone, whether you've lost your job recently due to the coronavirus or if you're transitioning jobs or you're realizing you're not satisfied in your work, to really ask yourself, who are you? And what do you have to offer to the world? And 
continue to search for those opportunities that feed that because that's what really life is about. It's about doing those things that are true to who you are and that will give back to the world and make the world a better place in the way that you only can do. Yeah. And I think it just, it's, I think that's a great question to pose to people, right? It's like, who are you, right? Um, without all these things, if all these things were taken away, what, who are you, your essence, right? And I think um, for me, similar to you also, I think for a long time, it was like a lot of check boxes, just checking boxes. Okay, I'm this, you know, it's like you say a name of a company that you've worked at or organization, people go, oh, wow. You know what I mean? And so you get so caught up with people's reaction to the things that, you know, that you are outside, right? Versus who you are inside. And you could be very empty, right? And so I think a few days ago, actually on the Instagram, I posted a quote, I can't, I'm going to paraphrase the quote, but it's, you know, oh, it's a Zadie Smith is from her, one of her books. And it's, uh, it's like, we live our moments twice. Every moment is lived twice. And they have two different histories and, and two different histories. And it's so true, right? It's like the moment of you being at that job, right? As a data analyst, right? Um, people are looking at you and looking like, oh my God, this is amazing. She's, you know, like a badass, you know what I mean? Like, but here you are inside so empty, right? And you're, you're not happy with that. And so I think finding what brings us joy is so important in figuring out what we want to do and who we are, right? And that's a really important journey. In the book, you really vividly um, tell the story of the day you lost your job. Can you go back to that moment when you got that email? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, I came into my my work and I thought it was going to be a regular day. It was completely unexpected. And I went and I saw an email and in the email, it was implied that I was going to lose my job. And so when I saw that email, I felt so overwhelmed with emotion. I, I just had to immediately leave the building because I couldn't contain my, my emotion. I was so upset and really shocked and it really felt like this doesn't happen to me, you know, like this isn't what is going on here. And I really appreciate what you were just saying about the two stories, because this one story for me really felt like this is who you are and this is what you're supposed to do. And this is the type of work you're supposed to do. And when I got that email, it really quickly rerouted and redirected me to the second story. Uh, but before I got to the second story, I had to process what was going in the first one. And so I, I really just remember crying so much and feeling so broken and feeling so cut down because I didn't see it coming. It wasn't like I had a performance review or I knew that I was not doing what I was supposed to do. And so it was so it really just like blinded me. And so having to rebuild and pick myself up off the, like literally I was crying to the point where I fell on the floor and I had to pick myself back up and go out. And the world was still turning as if nothing had happened inside of my job, uh, inside, you know, when I left my job and I walked down the street and it felt like my entire life had just came to a standstill. And what I ended up doing was I turned to my faith. You know, I asked God, like, God, why? I'm a faithful person, you know, God, like I, I do what you asked me to do. I prayed for this job. It wasn't like I just said, I'm going to go work at this job. Like, so you left me to this job and now I don't have it. 
what did I do, you know? And so that next day I had a really powerful encounter where I was just talking to God and just really processing these feelings. And after that encounter, it wasn't like, boom, everything was great. Like I had to continually get go through it. And I really did that through prayer, um, through going to therapy, through journaling and really processing that. And it took a few months. And I would say even up until February, where that story, that first story was the dominant story in my mind. And it would really impact my ability to move forward because I felt like it was a shadow following me, like fire, fire. It's like I could, every time I would try to go look for a job, it'd be like fired. And I'm like, no, I can't because I'm not good enough for this. Or, you know, I want to move forward, but I can't because I just hear that. And in writing this book and in becoming a life coach, it really helped me to parse out that actually the real story, the second story is that this was a divine interruption. And when I really was critical and I thought about it, I wasn't happy with what I was doing. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing in the world. I don't think that God put me on earth to be data analysis. Now, some people have the gift of numbers and that is their contribution to the world. So I don't want to downplay that field. But for me, my gifting is in relationships. It's in connection. It's in, in building that. And that life, that um, skill set in life really correlates more to a life coach and to many other types of fields, which I'm still being open to how that's going to expand in my life. So that's really how I picked myself up through that. And I mean, you can read more about it in the book, but it was a really challenging moment. And, and I'm thankful that I am able to process that now because a lot of people are in that situation. Um, some people unexpectedly lost their jobs due to coronavirus and they didn't know that this, this virus is going to come. They didn't know they were going to be laid off or there are people who've been dissatisfied in their jobs for a very long time. And so I feel like for those who read my book, you will really understand uh, and gain tools and how to process something like this and know that you're not alone in this um, and that losing your job is not a reflection of who you are as a person. Um, sometimes it is actually a divine reroute. Sometimes it is an unfortunate event and there's no rationale behind it, um, but to not tie yourself to it because that's what really held me back. I think in between that first and second story was that I kept living as if I were still on the floor in my office, finding out that I just got fired and not knowing what to do and not knowing who I am and feeling like a part of me died because I was a, a go-getter, an achiever, a, you know, every all the ducks are in order type of person and now i wasn't that person and i didn't know how to move forward from that so to really encourage um, people to really take your time and process the things that happen to you but once you process them to let them go don't bring them into your second story because it, it's no longer relevant to who you are and to what you are going to do in your life so tyler how did this change right um manifest in how people interacted with you did that make you feel any different about yourself and your self-worth oh yeah absolutely so um the day that i went outside and i was crying i took my phone with me and i remember dialing like everyone in my favorites so it's like mom didn't answer dad didn't answer sister didn't answer boyfriend didn't answer best friends didn't answer i was just frantically 
calling. And when the first person I told was one of my good friends and she just said, don't worry, don't worry. This is the same friend who actually told me to become a life coach. <laughs> but she said, don't worry, you know, it's, this happens. And sometimes this is a blessing, but I couldn't hear that, you know? And then when I called my roommate, cause then I said, okay, this is a logistic issue. Like, uh, how am I going to pay my rent? Um, I could pay my rent for a certain amount of time, but eventually that's going to run out. My savings will run out. So how will I pay my rent? And my roommate, she immediately started praying for me and just said, you know, praying for you to have strength. And after I talked to her, that is what enabled me to get up off the floor. Mm -hmm. But once I got up off the floor and I was out of the job and that was no longer my reality, um, it was very hard to talk about it. And um, with my parents, I, my dad is very much someone who always has a job. He's military, retired military. So uh, this idea of like figuring it out is not, that's not part of who he is. And so uh, there was a lot of pressure from him that I felt to get a job immediately. And for my mom, I felt like she was more supportive and understanding, but she tried to, she was trying to push me out of that depressive state. Like, don't stay here, don't stay here. But the thing about that is that when you're going through something like that, you do need to actually feel those feelings. I, I wouldn't have been able to move forward if I hadn't actually mourned the loss of who I was and the, the loss of this job. But definitely with, with people in my church congregation and my mom's church, when they would ask me, you know, oh, like, what are you still doing here? You know, after the holidays, I felt embarrassed at first. Like I mm -hmm. felt like, they were trying to demand some type of uh, justification because they're like, you're the girl who went to Peace Corps. You're the girl who went to UC Berkeley for her master's program and graduated with honors. Like, what do you mean that you're not working? Like that doesn't, that's, that doesn't make sense. Um, and so it really, really hurt because I had mm. to deal with this almost like, I, I felt like I was going out in the world being like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, I'm just waiting on God, waiting on these jobs, whatever, whatever. But in the inside, I was like, I'm a fraud. <laughs> like, mm. like, no, like, I'm never going to be able to move past this because I can't move forward. I, I just cannot do it. And so once I got to this place, and I think it really came from when I was writing the book and I started to see the story differently. I was able to realize I'm not in that, that mindset anymore. I'm not that person anymore. Even if I still feel some kind of way about not having a traditional nine to five job, um, I am still working. I'm still coaching. I'm still, I'm still doing these things. I'm taking these small beginnings and, and creating something that will hopefully germinate and become a bigger thing. But absolutely i faced a lot of that and for my friends they were very supportive i mean i was leading a small group at my church so people were praying for me and encouraging mm -hmm. me um but it didn't make it easier you know like when everybody was going to work and i was at home and i'm like i'm just at home and everybody's out when i'm usually at work as well you know it was really challenging um and it was really hard to not feel like i was a loser or like i was no longer worthy of grace or love or care or, or even respect because I think I had tied so much of my worth into my mm -hmm. job 
and into into being this person and now I can look back and say I'm thankful that I'm no longer there for a lot of reasons but I'm also thankful that I had to learn that lesson because yeah. it won't matter now like if I have a job if I don't have a job like I now know who I am and it's not going to be shaken as easily by these external appearing factors I mean obviously I love my job and I don't want <laughs> I don't want to ever go through that again, but I, I understand that now um, and how harmful, how harmful that is. And yeah. yeah, it's something that I think in the United States we're we're socialized to believe like you, you are your job. You are, you are worth what you work. Mm-hmm. And, um, you can't do work that's not joyful or that's, you know, your work has to have purpose and significance but it doesn't necessarily translate to like joyful purpose or joyful significance Mm -hmm. for anyone else besides you and your family. Um, And so I really think that in this experience, I've had to kind of outgrow that thinking and be like, I'm not only am I not work, like my work doesn't come from my job, but also I'm worth having a job that brings me joy and job that I don't have to wait until I get enough vacation days so I can go have live my best life on an island. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just and so and so does everyone else. Um, And if it's not in your job, it's in your your passion projects or something. But I wasn't getting that joy anywhere because I was putting all of my worth in this job, and I wasn't even appreciating the other things around me that brought me joy um, because I just thought if I have a job and I have this degree, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Too often how people react to our jobs or our degrees and stuff like that. We make that as our entire identity, as our entire work. And I remember reading something a few years ago about why you shouldn't ask children um, what they want to become. Ask them, what do they enjoy? Because they'll pick up on your facial expression. And oftentimes, that's what we end up doing based on what people, how people react. So if you say, I want to be this, and people are like, really? Like, that's what you want to be? Then you realize, like, oh, that's not good enough, even though that's something you really enjoy. And so for you, now that you've been through this change, right, you, you, for yourself, you now understand for yourself that your worth is bigger than any job. Your worth is bigger than any job title, right? And you're finally figuring out your purpose. How that has that um, manifest in how you react to other people in their job? Oh wow, this is a great question. I mean, for me, I I totally agree with with that mentality of starting from a place of what do you enjoy, and as a life coach, as part of my coaching philosophy is about values based coaching to help people transform through transition, which was informed by my own experiences, and I really believe that when you operate from your values that you're able to create and live into this life that you really are meant to be in. Mm -hmm. And so for me, one of my values is joy. And so I have to ask myself, what do you enjoy doing? And even in this time between, um, you know, story one, story two, so to speak, I wrote down on a piece of paper, what do you enjoy? And I tell you, it took me about an hour to go through it. Because that's how hard, it was so hard for me to actually name what I enjoyed because I was thinking, well, I enjoy doing this. And then when I thought about it, I'm like, no, that's what people have affirmed me for doing, but that's not what I enjoy. So when I started looking at the list, once I started to go kind of get into the, the rhythm of it, I'm like, wow, 
I enjoy serving others. Wow, I enjoy helping bring out the best in other people. Mm. I enjoy um, being in, in sunshine. I enjoy dancing, you know, and, and for so long, all of my joys were kind of filtered through, now what is a job that does that mm. versus just letting you enjoy. And so I think also part of that is compartmentalizing our lives, right? So we think this is my work life and this is my social life, if I'm even allowed to have one, right? <laughs> this is my this life. And it's like, well, actually there's only one Tyler, many different facets. So yes, I enjoy dancing. Does that mean I'm going to join Alvin Ailey Dance Academy? No, but I do take classes there when I'm in New York, right? Because I like to dance. Um, and so I encourage people when they're going through this in my clients, you know, to let yourself fully process what you enjoy doing in life and to be imaginative and living in that vision for your life. Like if money were not a factor, what would you be doing? It's amazing. Once we take off these caps, whether it's money or it's people's approval, whatever, if blank were not there, what would you be doing? you can uncover a wealth of experiences or a wealth of desires that you didn't even know you had. And so for me, that's what really helps when I, when I coach my clients and some of my clients that does come up for them of like, I need to have a job or my job needs to look like this. And then it's going back to, okay, thinking about what do you need to survive? And I'm also here to encourage you to think about what do you need to thrive? Because you can live for money, right? You can live and have your basic needs met and be miserable on the inside, right? And I think that sometimes this narrative of work is like, it has to be a struggle. If it's not a struggle, it's not worth it. And conversely, like, you know, dreams are just made overnight. It's like, well, it's not really either of those things, right? Like you do need to daily work at your dream and take little steps day by day. Um, in the Bible, it says not to despise small beginnings. Uh, so not to despise if you're starting off your, your business and it's not a million dollar coaching business, right? Like coach one client, then coach five, then coach 15, then coach, th you know, so on and so on and so on. So basically I really encourage people to, to operate from their values and depending on whatever they value is what will help them be clear on where they need to go. And it will also help them feel confident in their decision making so that when they are being questioned by other people, they can stand firm and be like, no, but this is who I am, you know? And I think now when that comes up, now people are like, wow, you wrote a book? Like, wow, you're a life coach? And it's like a completely different reaction and response and I don't necessarily think it's because of the profession I think it's just because I'm showing up for myself and I'm standing up and being like this is who I am Tyler Brewington this is who I what I offer to the world um, and this is what I desire to do these are my intentions and my motives behind doing it and I think people are feeling that more and they're like oh that's really cool you know so if I said like I'm an astronaut I think maybe you would get the same response but um, because my motive and my, uh, my socialization around acceptance and, and pleasing other people, I was looking for that, that what you were saying about doctor lighting up the face of like, oh, I get that, that I'm good enough. I'm good enough, like light bulb comes off, then I did it. And I would do everything that I could to get that light bulb to come off. 
you know, and I think that's part of why I, I took the job that I had, you know, that I got fired from because I said, wow, when I say, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a data analyst. People are like, oh wow, like you're super smart. Light bulb. <laughs> like, exactly. We addicted to the light bulb, you know, we, yeah. we get addicted to it. So Tyler, um, like I mentioned, you just wrote a book, I Cried Oceans. Can you tell us what that book is about and what are some of the underlining themes in that book? Absolutely. So the book is called I Cried Oceans, A Journey of Faith, Hope, and Resilience. And the book is all about the transformative power of faith, hope, and resilience in my life. And I told, the, uh, I told this story through vignettes. Um, and so each story represents a different moment in my life where I either had a transformation in my faith, where my hope was renewed or I had to use resilience to overcome some obstacle or barrier in my life. And so one of the reasons why I even chose this title, I Cried Oceans, was it actually came to me while I was praying. And uh, this was right before everything was starting to kind of pick up with the life coaching. I had no idea I was going to write a book. And I was very down and depressed and crying and, and I was praying to God and I said I, I feel like I've cried oceans and the farther out that you lead me like the more that I cry and in the middle of praying I was like that's a good that's good like you, you should hold on to that for something <laughs> and so this this metaphor for me of like oceans and water um in one chapter of the book I talk about tsunami because that's how it really felt like there was like rivers and there was calm moments and, and moments where I felt like I was just discovering God and it was joyful and exciting. But then there were moments like tsunami where it felt like I was overtaken by life and I was overwhelmed and I had to really use the trifecta of faith, hope and resilience to overcome and, and to push through that tsunami. And so one of the lines that I that I love that I wrote in there was about how water can transform and like how how my grief of this loss of this life that I thought that I had to have it transformed me and so there's a, a passage in scripture that talks about the ministry of reconciliation and it says like the old me is gone and the new one is here and I feel like through water is how I really kind of speak to that um, being like you know this old me that when I look at my reflection in water right like this old me if I could see like in a Disney movie right you know they always do that with the water and they could see things like I would see this person with like books and degrees and everybody like giving me this attention and accolades and being like, oh, this is what I need to do and I need this and this is who I am. And then, you know, get that washed away and then this new person and it's like, I'm just standing by myself, but there's people all around me and there's new possibilities and potential because I'm really living as a, a servant leader. That's how I envision myself. Um, I'm really living to serve God and to serve other people through my gifts. Um, and being myself is a gift to myself as well. Um, so those are really the themes that I talk about overall in the book. But then each vignette has different, different topics that I talk about. So I talk about the different intersections of those themes. So like one chapter, I talk about faith and work. I talk about faith and sexuality. I talk about um, faith and grief. Uh, resilience and grief. I talk about faith and resilience. I mean, there's very many different combinations of those things throughout the book. Um, but I, I really wrote this book 
for people who need healing for for their self-identity and also for their healing of their understanding of God because those are two major issues that especially impact the millennial community and millennials are the people who are the least likely to be connected to a faith-based organization or a faith-based community and at a time like this where there's so much unprecedented so much unknown one of the things that's helped me get through is to lean into faith and not just faith by myself but leaning into faith in community with other people and so i think that if more people could have experienced that type of healing that i did to be like homegirl like <laughs> your your self-image was was distorted right like your image of having to have a million degrees and and you have to look a certain kind of way and I mean, it hasn't just started with this book. I've been in this season of transformation, right? Like, even when I think about my hair, like, I used to chemically strain my hair because I thought that's what I had to do to look good. And that's what I was affirmed for as being beautiful. And then I cut all my hair off and started fresh. And, like, that was way before any of this was happening, right? And it's like, that was one layer of accepting myself. And now this is another layer and another layer. And as I'm unraveling who I really am, the real me is rising up. And so I hope that through this book that other people can read it and see like, maybe that's not my story exactly, but I see myself in her story. I know what it's like to lose my job. I know what it's like to experience the loss of a, of a, a close friend um, and that friendship coming to an end. I know what it's like to experience something for the first time and it's brand new and it's exciting. I know what it's like to overcome fears around any type of topic. So um, that's my hope of the book is that people will be able to get healing for themselves and to really get to know who they are and also to see another side of God's character that God is not just this mean, spiteful, vengeful, you know, person, you know, that God is love, that God can redeem you, and that I'm not special. Like, it's not like, oh, God only sprinkled love on Tyler, and like, that's it. Like, anybody, I mean, you can read the Bible, you can look at people all around us, Oprah, Michelle Obama, I mean, these are all people who've had incredible stories and transitions and transformations, and it, it can happen for them, and it could happen for me, it can happen for you too. Yeah. So that's what I hope that when the people who read this book, they get that, and they feel that they're not alone in that, and if they need support, well, you know where to find me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, I'm still waiting on my signed copy, but I'm so ready to read it. I know you sent me a chapter of that book, so I'm excited to read the book. While we were in college, I didn't perceive you as religious person and were you always religious and just not as open about it or can you tell us a little, can you talk more about that what your faith journey has been absolutely i can talk about that um so growing up i was presbyterian and i went to church every sunday i served in church my parents served in church um we you know, that was a part of our lives but i didn't really know who god was for myself until i had survived a a miraculous a, a miraculous incident occurred to me um and i was dragged from a go-kart and i was left temporarily blind and um that happened when i was nine years old so when that happened to me and i wrote about this in my book i believed that i was going to be blind for the rest of my life because i went i got tested i went to the emergency room they, they did all these eye tests i couldn't open my eyes and i just thought i was going to be blind for the rest of my life 
And I, I just didn't even know how to process that. And so my mom really stepped up and she would put cocoa butter over my eyes and pray for me every single day until school started. And then one day I opened my eyes and I could see. And I think something that's a caveat that I should mention is that my mom is a doctor where she was, she's retired now. Um, so even knowing that there were physicians and healers in my family and they could not open my eyes, they could not give me a medication or do surgery on my eyes. I believe that it was God that healed me. And so after that is what really helped me to understand who God was for myself. But faith to me is not a one-stop shop. So it's not like once my eyes were open, I just saw the Lord and that was it. And there was no struggle and there was no obstacle or there was no doubts or there was no questions. And so to your question, in college, you know, I very much was in a space of my life where I stepped away from, from Christ because in high school, you know, there was a lot of, of pressure where I felt like, you know, I'm for God and I'm doing this, but I want to go to the parties too. And if I show up to the parties, they're like, well, aren't you Christian? Like, you don't do that. You're not supposed to be doing that. And so I just felt all this shame of like, I can't be this person and do this thing. So uh, I'm going to give up Jesus, which was not the right choice, but that's what I did. And so when I was in college, I was very much like not interested at all. Like I didn't go to church every Sunday. I wasn't serving in church. I wasn't reading the Bible. Like I wasn't really doing any of that because I had a lot of shame around that. And also, you know, sometimes when I hear the word religious, even now I get a little bit of a tense because I'm like, Ooh, like, that that word has such negative connotation even christian right because the way that um christianity especially in the united states has been performed has been very harmful and i'm like i don't want people to think of me like that because that's not how i understand the message of christ and the gospel of christ um and so it was really one day in college, I, I can't even remember when, I want to say it was in my junior year where I woke up and I just realized, like I was sleeping and I literally woke up, um, not trying to be spiritual, but and then I woke up and I saw the Lord. <laughs> no, like I was, sleeping. Like I was sleeping in my bed and I just felt something inside of me just feel like this is not, I'm not satisfied. Like on paper, everything seems right, but something feels missing to me. And so I did what I knew how to do, which was I went to the 23rd Psalm, which is what my grandmother always prayed over me. And I read it and something just told me like, you need to reach out to the people that you know who are Christians. And at that point, I pretty much ignored everyone that I was friends with from church, anyone that I made any type of connection with. There's a miracle that I, I had four friends who openly identified as Christian. And I asked them like, hey, can you take me to church? They're like, sure, I'll pick you up. Uh, let's go. Like, I'll take you. So I went to their different churches and in, and in the different process, I had to learn things like how to read the Bible again. Didn't know how to do that. Even though I grew up in the church, I didn't know how to do that. Um, what it meant to pray, what it meant to, I had to relearn everything, like relearning how to spiritually walk and talk again. And there were some things that I saw in the churches that I'm like, mm, I'm not really resonating with that or mm, this. Yeah, but this, it's not really talking about the gospel um, in a way that I can understand or relate to. So I, I'm not really connecting with this. Um, but I would say like the moment between college and now that completely radicalized my faith was going to the Peace Corps because I was living 
in Guatemala and just seeing people experience faith on a day-to-day basis that stretched me so much that I didn't know it was possible you know like there were people who I worked with who were being paid for months to believe that they would eat you know I lived in a community where there was no running water there sometimes electricity sometimes there wasn't but people have faith they were going to make it another day um there were I talk about on the book about you know taking the bus and um just all the different things you see riding the chicken bus in Guatemala that to me exemplified faith. And for me, when I think about all of these different people that touched my life and transformed my faith, I really believe it's because I saw them as the, the, the uh, embodiment of scripture in person. And so for a very long time, I thought the Bible was this very boring book. I was like, this is boring. It's nothing to do with me. This is nothing to do with anything I'm struggling with or anything that's going on in the world right now. And then I'm on the bus and I'm like, oh, that's the parable that Jesus was talking about. Oh, that, that me, my story is even reflected. Maybe not the entire thing, but there are aspects of it that are. And so living in a situation and with people who have such bold faith, it made me feel like there's no way I can ever live my life without faith. I can't go back to what I was doing before then you know and so for me I really think about faith in my life now currently as it's really all about being in relationship with God and just like how I'm in relationship with people you know I have to commune and talk to God and just like when I'm in relationship with people and people don't share maybe my views I don't yell and scream at them I don't like I, I'm like okay can you explain to me where you're coming from and I feel like if more Christians and I specifically name Christians Christians, because this is a problem in Christianity of like, you need to do and believe what I feel. And if you don't, you're going to, you know, someplace. And I feel like that's very uh, harmful. And that's not the way Jesus was. Jesus was a a relational person. Um, Jesus was a confrontational person. Also, Jesus was a a person who was justice oriented. Um, So I try to model myself as much as I can like Jesus. And I know that's not something that I can do in a, you know, in my lifetime, but I feel like that's how I understand faith. It's like being in relationship with other people in community. Um, I understand faith as serving other people. I understand faith as being self-reflective of when I've made a mistake, instead of looking at other people and being like, you're living your life wrong. It's like, girl, <laughs> how are you living your life? You know, what are, what are you doing? You know, uh, and I've noticed the more that I've started to shift from kind of the Christianity that I, I grew up in and even the Christianity in the United States that I was surrounded with, as I've started to let those other influences come in, um, I feel like I feel more comfortable mm-hmm. saying I'm a Christian because I know that when I'm saying I'm a Christian, I'm not showing up like the Westboro Baptist Church, right? I'm not coming out like the evangelicals who are supporting Trump, right? So um that's for me really important. It's like to show God's character in another way and not in a deceptive way. I'm just being me. And I'm showing that also transformation is possible. Like this is who I was. Even if you just look at micro transformation, like this is who I was when I lost my job. This is who I thought I had to be. This is, I thought everything was about my job and my worth was this and being maybe even a little prideful and thinking like, I'm just so great because I have this job and I went to UC Berkeley and blah, 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 blah. And then being transformed now and being like, okay, like I am 
blessed to be able to serve other people. I am blessed that I'm able to use my gifts to help better the world. I am blessed that I don't have to fight myself, my real self, for the to present this fake self to the world. Um, and that that's what what God wants us to do. God wants us to shine our lights. Like there's a passage of scripture that says, like, be the salt and light of the world. So when I'm playing small, I'm not being the light that's in within me. I'm not making that bright. When I'm like, you know, trying to change the way that I speak, whether that's about Christianity or about anything, right? If I if I try to be like, you know, I call it Christianese when it's like, and then I was so blessed. I woke up and the Lord, like changing my voice. It's like, how, how is that adding seasoning to the world? Like every, if everybody was like, Jesus, 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 like this, right? Like we need people to just be like, for real, like, yeah, sometimes I struggle and that's why I need Jesus, you know, and just flat out say it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I didn't know that. Um, part of you that part of your story while we were in college and I think it's so beautiful that you know um, we're still learning people as we go we're still learning because people are evolving right and you can't hold people onto what you knew them five years ago right so thank exactly. you for sharing that um, can you tell us um, where we can get your book and what's next for you sure so this is what my book looks like uh, the full title is I Cried Oceans, A Journey of Faith, Hope, and Resilience. And you can get my book on Amazon for a paperback or Kindle. And I have a limited amount of copies on my website. They will be signed, sealed, and delivered to your house. <laughs> um, but my website is www.thecocooncamp.com slash shop. And I'll be sure to include all of that information in our show notes and whatnot when when I post it. Uh, and what's next for you? So right now I am continuing to coach. I am also um, continuing to work on the book and doing you know, more speaking engagements around it. And I have some big news that's coming up soon, but I'm still discerning about uh, my decision around that. So I will be sure to keep you all posted about what I'm up to. But if you want to stay connected, make sure to follow me on Instagram at the cocoon camp and you can see what I'm up to over there. Thank you so much, Tyler. I, it's been so wonderful talking to you and sharing your, and have hearing you tell your story and a, a story of incredible um, transformation, affirmation, and also revelation. Your story embodies all of that. So thank you. Yes, thank you for having me. This was a wonderful experience. And it was nice getting to talk to your dad too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tyler. Hey y'all, thank you for tuning in. Please remember to subscribe, leave a review, and share the episode. Be sure to also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Turning Point Diaries. Kume, until next time. Theme music by Exile Dynamics, featuring more Fox.